This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. For those just tuning in, you're listening to our special on Medicare for All. I'm John Barquette, and this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on SiriusXM 132. I'd now like to welcome in our last guest to wrap up the program. Jonathan Gruber is a professor of economics at MIT, who is a key contributor to both Romney Care in Massachusetts and Obamacare at the national level. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. Um, you've worked on efforts to expand health insurance coverage to individuals without employer coverage, without Medicare, without Medicaid. Um, how are the current crop of Medicare for All proposals different from what you've worked on in the past? It, it varies. I mean, it varies from Bernie Sanders' proposal, which would really replace the existing system, to the sort of Medicare for America plan, which would sort of add a public option uh, that individuals can move into. I, I, I think I think the big issue is is your goal. I think the big goal of Romney Care and then Obamacare was to say past efforts to sort of rip up the system from its roots it's failed. Let's go with a more incremental approach to build on what on to build on things by leaving people alone who like what they have, and then focusing on those who don't have access. Yeah, it kind of feels like that. That doesn't feel like that long ago to me, and it feels like the current Democratic Party and these different proposals are kind of saying to Obamacare, you know, hold my beer let me run off and now go back and try to do these major overhauls that we were trying to do, say, under Clinton care or prior to that. Do you think that's wise? I mean, is that are we at a, a crisis point where we have to say, let's stop tinkering with the ACA and move to these more um, dramatic proposals? Certainly people have struggled with it in the healthcare system still today. Look, I, um, I can't opine about whether it's wise or not. But what I can tell you is the political barriers are formidable. There are three major barriers to something like Bernie Sanders' plan. The first barrier is that um, currently health care in the U.S. for the 180 million Americans with employer-sponsored insurance is funded by essentially an implicit tax. Your employer doesn't give you health insurance because he likes you. Your employer gives you health insurance to retain you in a competitive labor market. And as a result, he pays you less. That's sort of an implicit tax on our wages. Something like Bernie Care replaced that with an explicit tax. Now, for economists, we don't care. But politically, it's a lot worse to have a tax that people see than when they don't. The second problem is 180 million Americans like their health insurance, their employer health insurance, and they're not going to be eager to give it up. And you look at the brouhaha around 2 million people losing crappy individual insurance under the ACA and think about that applying 90-fold. The third problem is we have an almost trillion-dollar private health insurance industry in America that's not going to go quietly into the night. And I think if you look at those three problems, the political prospects are pretty damn daunting. And I think we risk letting the perfect be the enemy of the good if we try to jump all the way to single payer right now. Uh, one of the main critiques of uh, folks who are pushing for Medicare for all is they'd say, look, private insurance, it's just not doing enough for us. And when you t- think about how effective they are at negotiating um, prices with providers and compare that to what Medicare pays providers today, um, you, you know, it, it'd be fair to say, well, they they don't get as good of a deal as Medicare does. I'm curious how economists view private insurers. Do they think that private insurers are effective at negotiating rates, or do, you, do they think that we could do better in a government-run plan? I think that um, there there is no doubt that the private sector is not – is the private sector negotiation has not, as we say in economics, squeezed all the rents out of the healthcare provider sector. Uh, they could negotiate tougher. Um, but that's not to say that we could suddenly switch to paying all providers Medicare rates. Medicare can partly get by paying lower rates 
because they can be cross-subsidized by the higher private rates. If everyone's paying lower Medicare rates, then providers might actually start to feel the pain and might not deliver care. We don't know, but that is a risk. It's not obvious to say we can pay every provider Medicare rates and everyone will be happy. We can just lower the rates. That said, I, I, I think we do have a failure of private markets to, to address the enormously high unit cost of health care in America. I think that that is a failure we need to address. Single payer is only one way to address it. You can address it within the existing multi-payer system through other mechanisms, such as price regulation or more move to things like um, alternative payment systems. Look, can we talk about some of those price regulation mechanisms that aren't single payer? This is something that I think people are listening for but not hearing it right now from some of the Democratic proposals, most of which just sort of rely on saying, well, the government is going to negotiate these rates. I'm, I'm, I'll be honest that I, I'm sympathetic to some of these arguments just because, you know, why haven't – there's been a huge demand for lower-cost health care for a long time, and we haven't seen anything spring up from private negotiation. So what other types of interventions could go on that could get unit prices lower? Well, um, I think you're absolutely right that, like, this is a classic market failure, uh, it's a classic market where, for various reasons, from imperfect information to imperfect competition, uh, we don't see the private sector getting it right. Um, so there needs to be a productive government role. Whether, But the thing, when you say single payer, you'll notice single payer has nothing to do with the prices you pay. That's about who's paying. Yep. So I think the pro- single payer means lots of different things to different people. For some people, it means a free choice of provider. Well, you don't need single payer for that. Some people, it means no co-pays or cost sharing. You don't need a single payer for that. So you're focusing on one aspect, which is the actual price negotiation. One thing, you don't need a single payer for that, but you probably do need a stronger government role in actually regulating prices. And that can happen in one of two routes. One route is the European route, which is um, you literally regulate unit prices. You literally would have a set of rules for the you know, 80,000 prices in the medical sector, and literally for every price, there'd be a government rule about what that price could be. Um, as you can imagine, that raises a number of logistical challenges and political challenges. Yep. Um, the other alternative that's been sort of more pushed by economists and with sort of the focus of the Affordable Care Act is a capitation model. Not decapitation, let's be clear. <laughs> capitation, that means paying per person. To say to organizations, healthcare organizations, accountable care organizations they're called, look, we are going to pay you a fixed amount per person. Um, and you guys got to figure out how to treat people for that price. We're no longer going to be the, the residual claimant. If costs go too high, that's not our problem. That's your problem. You guys have to try to figure out how to treat people more efficiently. That is a lot more politically feasible. Um, it's not clear it can work. The evidence is sort of out on whether that model can work. But that is certainly the place to start, I think, given the difficulties in unit price regulation, the politics of that that we face. Let's talk about the effects that some of these proposals would have on the economy for a second. Uh, Jonathan, we've had on the show already folks from uh, America's Health Insurance Plans, the, the Health Insurance Lobby, and the, the American Hospital Association, the hospital lobby, talking about the drastic effects these, these proposals would have on their, on their members, on hospitals, on health plans. What are we talking here? I mean, w- would this affect the economy writ large if something like this went into effect? Well, it certainly would, but the sign of the effect is not at all obvious. Whether it be positive or negative, it's not at all obvious. I mean, clearly, look, what do we know? If you did something like Medicare for All, it would certainly be bad for the insurance sector. No doubt about that. And there's a lot of jobs along by the insurance sector. On the other hand, right now, America's competitiveness is being squeezed enormously by the fact that our health care costs are so high. So, yes, we wouldn't have an insur- private insurance sector. It's hundreds of thousands of jobs. But suddenly, employers 
would find themselves a lot more resources, and workers would find themselves a lot more money in their pockets. And that could be used to invest in other sectors that would grow. So it's not entirely clear um, what the net economic effect of, uh, of this proposal is. It's certainly, that's the kind of thing where the devil really is in the details. But once again, I think the key point is to remember, single-payer means lots of things to different people. And I think we have to ask ourselves, instead of keep talking about the term single-payer, um, we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we want, and what's the best method to get there? So you've been involved in health reform discussions going back uh, at least two decades, as far as I, I can tell, um, probably more. W- what are the big lessons that you're bringing to bear right now as you're thinking about the current health care debate? And what would your advice be for would-be health reformists going into 2020? Uh, I think, you know, my piece of advice is a couple of things. Uh, first of all, I think we have to be realistic. For the reasons I laid out, you know, single-payer is really just in the short run, just unbelievable. Single-payer writ large is in the short run unbelievably heavy lift. And I think not, and, and not to dismiss what we've accomplished. I mean, the Affordable Care Act was the largest single expansion insurance coverage in our nation's history. Okay? So, yes, it's been attacked, and yes, it's not perfect. But we've made enormous steps. And to focus on the fundamental accomplishment of the Affordable Care Act, which is to guarantee all Americans the right to non-discriminatory health insurance, something that's true in every other nation but our nation before 2014, and is now true in our nation as well. And that doesn't mean the simple term pre-existing conditions exclusions. That doesn't mean, and this is what I'd really get candidates to emphasize, that doesn't mean, oh, don't worry, we'll cover pre-existing conditions exclusions. I mean, my wife's a breast cancer survivor. That's a pre-existing condition. So if you pass a Republican bill that said there should be no pre-existing conditions exclusions, she could walk into the insurer and the insurer would say, well, according to law, we now have to cover your breast cancer, but we don't actually have to cover you, so we're denying you insurance. Or according to law, we have to cover your breast cancer, but it doesn't tell us what price we have to pay, so we're going to charge you a million dollars a month. Okay? You haven't solved insurance market discrimination unless you broadly solve the way the ACA does. I think the main message for would-be healthcare advocates is let's focus on what people really view as a major accomplishment of this law, which is ending a fundamental unfairness in our society. And let's not let people get away with cheap talk about how, oh, yeah, don't worry, we'll fix it. Let's say, hey, this is only fixed through kind of aggressive mechanisms in the Affordable Care Act, and what is your alternative that's going to do this? Yeah, we've got about um, 90 seconds here, Jonathan. I want to ask you one last question around the, the politics of all of this, just because you have worked with both Democrats and Republicans to expand coverage and to do health reform at, at the state level with Mitt Romney when he was the governor of Massachusetts and at the federal level with President Obama and his team and, and the Congress at that time. I mean, is, is there a path where Republicans and Democrats start to work together again on these types of reforms, or, or is that not really uh, a reasonable expectation in the next, say, five years? Um. You know, it's certainly not a reasonable expectation in the next two years. Uh, whether it's a reasonable expectation after two years, two years from now depends a lot, I think, on what happens in the election. I think if, if there's a big Democratic sweep on the basis of people really trust the Democratic Party more in health care, then maybe the Republicans will say, gee, we, ought, we don't want to see this topic anymore. We've got to get more serious about this. But I'll be honest, the Republican Party in the last, you know, basically since, since Obamacare was proposed has showed no willingness to work in a constructive way in improving the U.S. healthcare system. I mean, you know, uh, it's not a partisan statement. It's just a fact. If, if you, you know, there's a lot of platitudes about, oh, more market-based solutions and that, that, that. But if you actually look at proposals, look, they had the presidency, they had the Congress, they couldn't come up with a plan that wasn't just enormously slashing the U.S. healthcare system. So I think right now we don't have, we have 
we only have one party that's interested in truly improving the U.S. healthcare system. But a, a real landslide election could change that, and I, you know, and I hope it will. I think, I think if we're going to make real improvements, I think we've learned the painful lesson about trying to do that in a purely partisan basis through the debate around Obamacare. I think we want. We, I, 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 I pray for real bipartisan action on health care reform, but I don't see a Republican Party right now that's interested in that. Jonathan Gruber, thanks so much for joining the show. You bet. My pleasure. And thank you all so much for joining us for today's special. If you miss any of the last hour, feel free to check it out on demand on the SiriusXM app. I'm John Barquette, the Director of Policy Affairs at Willis Towers Watson, and you've been listening to the Medicare for All special here on SiriusXM's Business Radio, Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 